Hello and welcome to the Lost World Minutes, the Minimal Minute podcast reviewing 997 sequel Jurassic Park, one minute at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're here to finish off the week with minute, six, uh, minute 70 of the Lost World. Dave, how are you going? Good, good. How's your wallet feel? <laughs> uh, actually, surprisingly heavy. I actually haven't started my Christmas, Christmas shopping yet. Well, that's good. You might want to hold off because we've got a couple of... Uh, Last week we sort of discussed Ironhead Studios had revealed uh, the lower section of an E. Malcolm figure in the lead up to the I think it's the Brazil wouldn't be Brazil's a country whatever the local capital city there is Comic Con uh, mm-hmm. in December and this past week they've revealed the uh, sort of the eye socket and top of the nose of the uh, Jurassic Park female Tyrannosaur that we all know and love mm-hmm. and just yesterday I believe they hinted at uh, Alan Grant, which... Yeah, that's, that's right. And they also hinted at a um, Ford Explorer as well. Mm. Yeah, well, they, they sort of... That very first teaser, when they said they got the license, was that Inside Explorer shot. And now they've sort of released a photo of the, the cracked the cracked dirt road with that uh, trackway mm-hmm. going up the middle. Um, I'd say not as screen accurate as I'd hoped for, but that's okay. If they're just using it for a hint, I don't know if the Explorer itself will actually sit on that, but apparently everything they're doing is one tenth scale, which, mm-hmm. um, and they've sort of hinted it as well, or said that um, all these figures are meant to be displayed together. So uh, better start making those renovations to build a new room on the back of the house because you're going to need the space. <laughs> oh, definitely, man. My uh, wallet is crying already. Because one ten, a one ten scale Rex. What was the Chronicle one? Was that one sixth? Uh, I don't know the. You're talking about the Breakout Rex. Right? No, no, no. The bigger, the big Marquette that they. Oh, uh, the big Marquette was yeah. um, one fifth. I want to say. Okay. Because even that thing's big, but luckily this won't be as big as that. No. No, it's going to be about half the size. Is yeah. That. Damn, even that alone is going to be big. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're gonna we're gonna see. I would not be surprised if there's a a Muldoon, a Hammond, an Ellie, and maybe a Ray. But we see next month as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're gonna they're gonna whip the main cast out pretty quick for Jurassic Park. Um, I'm sort of, it's curious though, because this sort of all come up really quick, and we know sort of the problem Chronicle had with the head sculpts, and even even sort of Hot Toys, um, some of the issues they have in time it takes to sculpt and all that. They like they they must have been working on this for over a year, so mm. I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait to see the final product, and especially to reveal so much uh, so quickly. You know that they. They've had this contract in the works for a very long time. Yeah. You well, the, the Tyrannosaur's painted. Like, it's not... None of this is prototype. This is looks like final production yeah. images. Yeah. And and she's and painted... I say, it all so far looks really good to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, my... The only thing I'm sort of looking at at the moment is the uh, all the bases for the, the two humans seem to be exactly the same, which, again, Hot Toys have done that for... since their induction, so... It's nothing new of just reusing the same base plates for them to stand on. Yeah. Um, no, again, I'm not buying it for the base. <laughs> oh no, no, no. 
and it's sort of they've, they've said that the uh, the bases are not interlocking with each other. Um, no. Even though they are all meant to display as one, so. Mhm. Um, so hopefully it'll be almost like a diorama. They could kind of build yourself, you know. Well, that's where I was talking to someone yesterday. Like, I'd love, I'd just love if there's sort of the rest area set of just the fence that you can put the T-Rex behind with some mm-hmm. plastic palm trees between the fence and it. They even have the goat there. And then you can have the Explorer sitting on the trackway with um, Hammond and Malcolm, oh, Hammond and Malcolm, Grant and Malcolm sort of standing either side of the open Explorer door for flare in the hand. would just be fantastic. But my mere money-wise, it's not going to be fantastic. So, <laughs> no. um, I'm sure. I'm sure all this stuff's going to be fantastic. But I, I might be stuck looking at the Mattel and Lego <laughs> collectibles <laughs> for this one. But it's, it's just good to see that sort of after the success of Jurassic Park, um, the license is getting out there to more than just the one, more than just Hasbro, and a lot mm-hmm. of people are having a go at it. And we're not just getting Jurassic World theme stuff for the uh, upcoming film we're getting this previous stuff as well which we've we've said it um all the time that the the franchise has been pretty uh maltreated over the years with mm-hmm. collectibles and that sort of stuff so mm-hmm. so yeah dress uh Jurassic park the fans really need this and it's great that we're finally getting it you know mm. Yep. I just hope they're made in a number that are sort of accessible <laughs> to most. <laughs> I'd, I'd hate in five years' time have this thing sort of in collectors' hands and no longer available and then the price is doubled and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But definitely exciting. Next week or two we should be uh, we should be able to see some of that stuff in all their glory. God, I wonder if I wonder if that Richard Kiley voiceover at the in the teaser was a hint that the uh, Explorer's going to have lights and sounds or some sort of sound gimmick. Mm, it might. That would be interesting. It adds another zero to the price. <laughs> yeah, right, it does. Sarah, when Hammond called you, uh, why didn't you say something to me? Because I knew you would have stopped me from coming. I would have tied you to the bed. Ready to get, in, <laughs> ready to get into minute 70. Sure. All right. As we entered 69 of Lost World, the survivors start their trek towards the island interior. As we start minute 70, after hearing an animal roar in the distance, Roland signals for the group to pick up the pace and keep moving. At 69 minutes and 5 seconds, we cut inside the Redwood Forest once again, where Ian's helping Kelly, who is exhausted. Sarah walks past a fern, leaving a trail of blood from a soaked jacket. 69 minutes and 20 seconds, Roland puts his hand in the air and tells the group to take a break. Five minutes. As Sarah walks past him, he inspects the jacket and the large bloody spots on her chest and sleeve. 69 minutes and 30 seconds, he comes over to Sarah, where she's just sat down on a log, and puts his rifle up against a tree. He kneels down in front of her and asks if she's injured. Sarah looks at him awkwardly and says, huh? Roland points to her jacket. Sarah looks down at the bloodstone jacket and says, no, it's from the baby. I said it's broken leg. It's just not drying into humidity. 69 minutes and 43 seconds. The pair are broken up by Ludlow, asking Roland for a word. And he'd like to know where the hell they are. 69 minutes and 49 seconds as the pair walk away. 
Nick comes over and sits down next to Sarah. Says, making friends with Ahab, huh? And as we end minute 70, Nick moves his fingers through his hair and looks over at Roland's rifle, leaning against a tree still. And this ends minute 70 of The Lost World. At the minute of 69, we heard the roar. Um, as we said last minute, we're not exactly sure of what that was, if it was to be hinted at the uh, Tyrannosaur following them or if it was just meant to be something else to say, hey, there are animals on this island now, even though we don't see any for a good chunk mm-hmm. of the film here. But uh, Rowan sort of scares, scans the area behind him before waving the group on to keep moving. And uh, we cut to back in the Redwood Forest again. Yeah. Um, Ian sort of pretty much carrying Kelly at this point by the shoulders, um, mm-hmm. like just showing that exhaustion of how far they've walked. These next couple of minutes here that are really the last we see of the Redwoods in this movie, and it's just like this one little patch here, which they actually filmed at um, Patrick's Point again. This The shot of the rock there is actually the behind of the rock that they climb in order to view the dinosaurs from, from that valley, or, yeah, from that uh, plains. Oh, okay, yep. And there's some pictures of behind it, so I can definitely post it. Yep, lovely. Because the, uh, the group's sort of making their way down. It, it, it seems like a slight little um, hill here they're going down, but um, mm-hmm. going down through the yeah, ferns. Yes, there's actually steps there. You can't see it in the film only because they clever camera ca- techniques, but, yeah, there are steps there. Yeah, well, it definitely you can sort of see here how Sarah's walking and how sort of Ian's sort of stepping down, carrying Kelly as well. Um, mm-hmm. But as you said, yep, it's all covered up. Um, Sarah brushes. They also, just they also use it cleverly. They um, you can see that they never actually show anything below their waist. You know. Yeah. Yep. We get Sarah here. She sort of brushes past a fern, behind a Roland's walking. No, sorry, behind a Roland then walks past the same fern and notices a lot of bright red, fresh blood on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can of course see. Fresh and glistening on her shirt. Mm, her yep. jacket, I should say. Yep, and sort of he gets a sort of a worried look on his face and uh, raises his hand, tells the group, take a break, five minutes. Um, pretty much as soon as he says that, the group, group breaks up and Sarah walks past him, um, mm-hmm. which a, a little sign that some time has passed since noticing the blood because he managed to get himself to the front of the pack again, or to the group. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, Sarah walks past Roland and sits down on a log next to a tree. Um, Roland walks over in front of her and takes his hat off yep. and um, sits his gun down and leans it against a tree behind her, kneels down and asks her if she's injured. And, and uh, this scene, this scene um, was actually filmed at a different area, a completely different area. It was in the Prairie Creek uh, area where they filmed the... Um, where they filmed the Stegosaurus shots and the walk back after the Stegosaurus attack. It definitely and feels... You see in the background behind Sarah when she walks up, the same exact... Uh, they call them uh, chandelier redwoods because they're a grouping of all of, like, a bunch of trees just kind of um, grown in together. Mm-hmm. And they... Um, that's the exact same tree uh, mass of trees that they walk by uh, when Nick and Sarah and Ian, Ian and Eddie are walking back to the campsite. Yeah, because I was, I was going to ask that because 
in one shot here we see there's a big redwood sort of um, oh, six or seven feet off the ground laying, must mm-hmm. be across across a stump or something that's sort of familiar yeah. from that earlier scene. Um, and I just I just wonder how many times they sort of all right walk left walk right just sort of getting some stock foot like well, not stock footage but just some B roll of them just trekking through the redwoods. Mm-hmm. They could have used if they sort of needed to fill in a bit of a montage here of their um their trek through the through the forest. Yeah, I definitely would love to see a B roll of the of this movie. You know, <laughs> Stephen on a PA. Okay, everyone, turn around, walk back towards the camera. <laughs> and just back and forth. Mhm. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that comes with the job. Yeah. Yep. Well, at least it's not raining now, but. Uh, <laughs> Sarah sort of looks weirdly at Ron, just like, huh? And um, he mm-hmm. points to the large red stain. You can see all upper left arm and a torso, and um, pretty much a whole right-hand side of the jacket's drenched in red blood. Um, mm-hmm. She sort of grabs the material, moves around her hands, and says, oh, no, it's from the baby. I said it's broken leg. It's just not drying in the humidity, which we see now how heavy it was raining the night before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact there's that much blood there still. We then get Ludlow's voice come over, asking Roland for a word, and uh, he turns mm-hmm. and stands and joins uh, Ludlow's side, and Ludlow's holding the map and says, I'd love to know where we are. So, and he just says it so nastily, too. Like, would you just tell us where we are? Like, I have other things I want to do today. Oh, know? yeah, yeah. I definitely <laughs> see this as Roland's holding out on where they actually are. Mm-hmm. Because... No, but, I mean, he feels so insistent about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. The way he says it. And it, it's still, they, those two sort of walk off then, and um, I could just see them both arguing about, well, we're here somewhere, and blood label, where exactly are we? And <laughs> just, you don't <laughs> need to know. Just just make sure the men have got their water. Yeah. As the two walk off, Nick sort of comes past them and comes over and sits down beside Sarah and... You're making friends with Ayabar, <laughs> which is a good little, a good little sting there at Roland. I take issue with that insult. Oh, Roland okay. There's nothing like Ahab. <laughs> if you read the original Moby Dick, uh, Ahab is just as maniacal and obsessive and as dangerous, I'd call him, as um, he is portrayed in the movies. He is just so focused on finding this whale that he really um he really neglects his crew and he neglects everything he doesn't even come up uh, he doesn't even come up above the out of his cabin until like they're halfway across the ocean in the book Mm. and Roland is just nothing like that he's the complete opposite yeah it's very very obsessive um Mm -hmm. which I'd nearly nearly classify that more with Muldoon. Yeah. The way he sort of obsesses over the raptors at the end there. Um, mm-hmm. When they find the the raptors have escaped, he's sort of mumbling himself that the shut-off took out all the fences and knew better mm-hmm. to mess with the raptor fences and he's sort of mumbling to himself and cross, uh, takes his hat off for a moment and just realises that Ellie's behind him and just instead of saying, okay, you go back to safety or we need another gun, it's sort of come on this way, it's alright, which it isn't at all. And he should know better than that, but he takes Ellie along you know, into a more dangerous area where 
we see what happens. He, he sees the raptor, and mm-hmm. again, his better judgment should say, this is not right. This one's just standing in front of you. Why is it ignoring mm-hmm. you? <laughs> and uh, he pays for that price. Yeah. We, I'd love a little a little cutscene at the end with Roland in the belly of the raptor with a candle. <laughs> like, just just shaking his head. That, I would have to say that of all the characters Spielberg has ever done, Quint from Jaws is the most like Ahab. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, agreed. Even yeah. even sort of the other stuff, like just smashing the radio and going, no, nah, we're not going back. <laughs> we, we're out here. <laughs> we're getting that shark. So... No, I managed to catch the last 20 minutes of Jaws the other night, and I was look, watching it, and, how, and it was the part where uh, they're le- trying to lead the shark back into shore so that they can drown him in the shallows. Yeah, and yep. Quinted by this point in the movie, has gone completely off the deep end, and he's not coming back. <laughs> oh, but then... And everyone talks about how how lucky it was the shark didn't work just to um, to make it more suspenseful and that. But just the mm-hmm. acting alone just is so yeah. fantastic. Just the, the free, yeah. pretty much the three of them. Once they leave Amity and get out on the ocean, um, even though most of it's shot, look, making it look like they're out in the ocean, but they're still in the bay. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's just it's just fantastic. Um, yeah. And it's sort of it, it, little bits like that are dotted throughout his later films as well. Mm-hmm. No, Spielberg, I, I mean, we're just talking in general right now, but Spielberg is just one of the best directors, and I'm I'm very pl- glad I'm, I've been privileged to live in the same world with Steven Spielberg. Hmm. <laughs> and even, even sort of as you were talking about being able to see it on TV, normally for these notes, I'm watching this film, The Lost World, on my iPad and that, where a lot of detail gets missed out. I'll do the recordings for the minute recaps, Normally mm-hmm. after we finish this record, and you see stuff that you didn't realise before, and oh damn it, we've missed missed out on that now. Um, but last night, ch- ch- uh, flicked the channel over on the TV, and the Lost World was actually on, um, mm-hmm. just as I'll get into Eddie's warehouse. So just sitting down watching it on the on the screen, like 42 inch TV, just again um, noticing noticing things, and definitely a lot of the environmental stuff once they get to the island. Um, here when they're trekking through the jungle as they get to the vert worker village and then on to the uh san diego just it looks great mm-hmm. i need to uh i need to get a higher def version on my ipad to watch but um back to the minute uh <laughs> it's a real we get back to the minute here at the very end where um they both sort of laugh off the ahab comment and um Nick sort of leans over and runs his hand through his hair and uh, looks across and there's Rowan's gun still leaning up against mm-hmm. the tree. <laughs> and he yep. just sort of just sort of sits there and looks at it for a moment. And um, and that's where we end the minute and that's where we cut to because pretty much the next minute starts straight off as uh, Dita's walking to the little girl's room, the little boy's room. Um, mm-hmm. But um, in the pre-San Diego script, we see the survivors getting tired and gaps starting to appear in the column and the line. And it's actually Nick that confronts Rowan and says the group's the group needs a break. Uh, Rowan sort of pushes it, no, we'll, we'll give him another half an hour. But um, Nick fights back and says, no, they won't make it half an hour. you got men here on the verge of collapse. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't call the break, I will. And they sort of, um, we've come too far to stop 
to start dropping in the middle of the jungle, which sort of gets Roland looking at Nick for a long time sternly before he uh, he finally calls the break. And once as soon as he does, the men pretty much just collapse where they are, which we sort yeah. of see here as well. Just just showing that they've been walking, okay, all or most of the previous night and this morning as well. Because it's really here we get this little bit with Dita coming up with the compies and then it's night again on the ridge before they make their descent to the uh, worker village. So you could say it's probably lunchtime now where they're here at this taking this break. So they've been walking for at least 12 hours. Yeah. In the, uh, in the shooting script also there's more between Roland and Sarah um, after she said it's not drying in the humidity, uh, the blood... Um, Rowan sort of thinks for a moment, takes off a boot and removes some pebbles that are in there. And mm-hmm. um, and he says to her, you've been wearing it all night. And Sarah replies, yeah, why? But then uh, then the two are interrupted by Ludlow. So yeah. he's sort of, Rowan's sort of getting onto that idea that um, the blood might not be a good thing on that jacket. And it must, like, it's the only thing that the Tyrannosaurs would be um, smelling to track, to track them as well. But it's just weird it's still there after after the rain, the downpour they had that night. And now most of them, their clothes look dry, so the the water's been able to dry overnight, but the blood hasn't during the day. There's also a sort of a, a scene added in between Sarah and Kelly where um, it, it was after sort of the ranting Malcolm was doing in the previous minute we discussed where... Um, Kelly says her dad doesn't think they're going to make it off the island alive, and Sarah sort of tells her dad um, wrong about a lot of things, which was an interesting thing as well, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one little thing here, in the pre-San Diego script, we had the uh, character of Dr. Judson, which was sort of a rival paleontologist to Burke, um, and they sort of bicker a lot, of, a lot here during this sort of um, break scene. But... Um, Burke sort of storms off after being told um, his research is wrong or something and sits down on a rock and finds a uh, a large oval egg about eight inches long, which he then mm-hmm. picks up and puts in his bag, which I could only yeah. think of was a bit of a hint at what we see later on in Jurassic Park 3. Um, yeah. I haven't read... I think that's probably where they got the idea from in that movie. Yeah, I haven't read any further in the script, and I'm just interesting to see what sort of happens here because... We know in the pre-San Diego script that um, the final sort of act was all in the worker village, so I wonder if there's some scene there with uh, Burke being killed or being caught with the raptor, with with the egg. Um, Being eight inches long, I'd assume it's probably a little bit too big to be a raptor egg, but... It does come up later. Okay. Yeah, it does come up in the next scene, actually. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's just... Yeah, that's all right. It's just interesting that the egg's sort of laying there behind this rock and it doesn't seem to have an established nest. But, mm-hmm. again, I might read that. So, <laughs> um, Also here, Nick, in the script as well, Nick's so, uh, Ian's sort of checking Nick's bag, which is full of the videotapes from all the uh, footage they've taken. And um, he and Sarah have sort of a back and forth about um, what's going to happen when they get back home. Sarah doesn't think the public's going to think the tapes are real, that they'll be fake, a good studio doctorate or sort of fake dinosaurs being seen and um, mm-hmm. she says on that in that script um, she tells Ian the only way people will believe dinosaurs exist is if you dump a T-Rex in the middle of Times Square <laughs> which 
again, that script being what it was and before they changed it to San Diego, it's sort of... Um, it's just interesting that come up there where we see that in this film. They've gone there to mm-hmm. document. as far, All their equipment's gone over the cliffs so they've no longer got the evidence they need to preserve the island. Um, yeah. But it's going to be InGen that take, a, take the T-Rex back and drop it right in the middle of San Diego. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Two little bits there that um, were in the early script and sort of lead to uh, other things that aren't in this script, so... Except for the Rex. But um, that's all my notes on Minute 70. David, anything else you want to get to for the week? I think it's interesting that um, we do get that little tiny tidbit of what would become the San Diego scene in the script. And I think that because... um, that line's only in there because Spielberg wanted the San Diego scene in the first place. And if he was like, well, if I'm not going to get it, at least I'll always have this hint to it. Mm. Yeah, and I wonder, um, because uh, the uh, investment speech isn't in the pre-San Diego script, so I wonder if um, in the film it's, well, in the film it's got to be San Diego because that's where Jurassic Park San Diego is. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd wonder if there was a point where they were sort of looking, okay, can we drop a T-Rex? How do we get a T-Rex to New York? Because that's presumably where Eddie's workshop is and where the team's left from. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that's another thing with being able to see the TV on a big screen too at home. You definitely notice the New York license plate on Nick's, <laughs> Nick's van this time. I did notice it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's just interesting how all that might have played, played into into what we got and what we might have seen. Mm-hmm. So, that's all right. I'm, I'm going to go and read the next part of the script now to uh, be ready for next week. Alright. Because we've always get, we always get sort of references from the books used in later films. I just mm-hmm. thought this was really interesting that something from a script, whether, whether it, uh, it reads like, <clears throat> not we're going to use this for the next film. Um, mm. Well, Joe Johnson originally wanted to direct The Lost World. Yeah. Spielberg turned him down because he wanted to direct it. And he promised the third to him. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. Have you got have you got The Lost World on Blu-ray? I do, yes. Has it got a difference a different behind the scenes to the um to the D V D? Well, I have the Ultimate Collector's edition. That's I'm the both, free pack. Uh, that's the, what? That's the free pack right? Blu ray. The Blu ray free yeah. pack. Yep. Yeah. And, and the, then I also have it on DVD, so yeah, I have both. And they're both the same behind-the-scenes featurettes? Yeah, okay. they have the Return to Jurassic Park and the Lost World on it. Okay, yep. The Return to the Lost World, has that got, has that got a lot of um, sort of marketing stuff? So no, just... it's, a, um, it's basically everybody talking about the um, movie with... Uh, the making of the movie with new additions of footage and new um, behind-the-scenes images inserted into it. So it was definitely made post the movie coming out? Yeah. No, no, it was made, it was put out for the... Um, in 2011, I want to say. Okay. Because is it got um, Julianne Moore and it's sitting in that little shack that looks like something from the Worker Village? And she's I talking... so. Okay, because I've seen that little talking, cut... What, wait, what is she doing? She's talking about something in the film and um, she's, she's standing in this little set that's sort of... You know that um, those couple of pictures you showed with the production stuff on the walls, 
and you've got like yeah. the old the old blinds. She's sort of sitting in a little room like that. Um, mm, yeah. Because I think she, her hair's in more of a bob or something like a bowl cut as well. It's not the long locks. Because I think she was already on to another film by then. But that's all right there. I just wanted to, I just wanted to see because I've I've got the two. It was. I think it was the first time Lost World and Jurassic Park come out on DVD, where it's a two-pack, um, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of got the the basic behind the scenes there. It's just if they're talking, you got behind the scenes stuff, but it's mainly just saying, "Oh, this film's going to be fantastic," and that sort of behind the scenes stuff, which I don't really like much because <laughs> it's on the DVD. We've obviously seen the film. Just tell us. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, guys, let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com email feedback to the lost world minutes at gmail.com facebook the lost world minutes twitter at the lost world minutes and instagram the lost world minutes easy to remember yeah yeah very easy to All remember right. <laughs> uh david thank you for joining me for this recording and uh we'll be back i've been brad i'm dave and uh we'll talk to you all later Goodbye. talk to you later bye it is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life will find a way.